We've already been doing some sermonizing through the, through the, this is a book of the Bible you may have never even looked at. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Okay, I'm going to take a bit of time introducing this so that we can set ourselves down in this passage in a proper way. A couple of days ago, I heard a testimony. In fact, it was yesterday. I heard a testimony of a Muslim woman. They would not identify the country she was from. They changed electronically her voice so you couldn't identify her voice. They changed her name as they were addressing her so she couldn't be identified because her life would have been in danger to have identified who she was. But she gave a testimony on how she became a Christian. And she had emigrated from her native country to, I gathered it was England because it was an English woman. She, was, she, she overstayed her visa. So she got put in jail. And she was sent a counselor. Once a week, this counselor, and she did say this was an English woman, and this English woman who came to be her counselor and to give her advice was a Christian. She absolutely, if she had known from the beginning this was a Christian, she would have said, I don't want that person. No, I'm a Muslim. I hate Christians. <clears throat> I hate Christianity. I hate Jews. She said as a tiny child, she fantasized about being a bomber. She was taught to hate Christians and Jews. But as she sat there in detention, and once a week, this woman, and the woman eventually was able to share the gospel with her and just told, well, why don't you get a Bible and read the Bible? One of the things that she was told as a Muslim was, you know, that Old Testament, the Torah, the Jews have rewritten that to make themselves look really good. So you don't want to read that. You don't want to read that because it's all the lies. It's all lies. It's in So she started reading the Old Testament. She said, oh, man, they couldn't have rewritten this because they look really, really, really bad. <laughs> if they could rewrite it, they would have just eliminated a whole lot of this bad stuff that the Old Testament says about the Jews who rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and worshipped the Baals and the Ashtoreths, sacrificed their children to the fire god Molech. They did horrid, awful things in defiance of God, the God who had blessed them, who walked them into the land of Canaan and gave it to them. They didn't have to build houses for themselves. They were already there. They didn't have to build barns. They didn't have to plant the vineyards. They didn't have to plant the olive groves. They didn't have to plant the crops. They were already there. They just moved in. And then they turned their back on him and started worshiping the gods who had failed <laughs> the people they just conquered. Why would you choose to worship a failure god? There's a reason. Because they were sinners. Amen. Yes. Amen. Every single human being. We all are born 
dead to God and with a bent towards sin. We are born with that twisted nature. And the only thing that alters it is a direct act of God. What does Jesus call it? Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you must be born from above. It is the act of the Holy Spirit who gives you relationship with God, light and life. And you become a new person. All of the bad stuff, all of your bad nature is still there. But you're now indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you can, in defiance of your own fallen sinful nature, walk in the Spirit. And it's a learned thing, by the way. That's why it's so important to learn God's Word. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just an influence. He's a person. (coughs) And if you walk in a person, that means you need to listen to him. And if he's written words for you, you need to read them and believe them instead of the, the, the way the world describes things as being real or the devil describes things or your own fallen nature. No, you need to walk in defiance of those three cacophonous voices and walk listening to the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. And then in that same John chapter 3, Jesus says that most famous verse in the, well, I mean, the second most famous verse in the Old Testament. You know what the most famous verse in the New Testament is? Judge not that you be not judged. (laughs) Every unbeliever can quote that verse, right? It's totally out of context. The second most famous verse in the New Testament, Jesus says, still speaking to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him and trusts themselves to him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the next verse says, for God sent not his, his, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I'll take that. What do I need to do? Trust in Christ. Well, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do that translates into a benefit for me? How does what Jesus came and said and did, how does that translate into a benefit for me? When he went to the cross, he went to that cross not as him, but as me. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said John the Baptist. In the same way that the Jews in their on Yom Kippur, what would they do? Day of Atonement, what would they do? They would, the priest would lay his hands on lambs. And that lamb, that innocent, perfect lamb, they examined those lambs to make sure there were no physical imperfections. They had to pass inspection. What did Pilate say about Jesus? This man's innocent. What about the Jewish leadership? They couldn't find an accusation that would stick. 
Jesus was the innocent one put on that cross, but he was there as my substitute. He could be a stand-in for me. And because of the very nature of his person, he wasn't just a stand-in for one other person. He was a stand-in for the entire human race. Why? Because he is true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. The value of Jesus by himself was greater than the value, the weight of the entire human race. And so he could go to the cross as a substitute for all humanity. And while on that cross, his father judged him. Yes, what the Romans did to him was horrible. But it was the invisible judgment that <clears throat> fell on him from his father. It became unnaturally dark in the middle of the day and he said my God my God why have you forsaken me and he was judged over the next three hours from noon to three in the afternoon he was judged for the sins of the human race and then he was able to say it is finished it is paid in full the sin debt of the human race is paid in full and so as I understand that and say, how do I benefit from that? That's a historic fact. How do I benefit from that historic fact? How does it come into my life? I say to God, who's just presented me with that message in the power of his Holy Spirit, I want that. I'll take that. Please favor me with that. And his answer 100% of the time is yes. It's yes. In Nehemiah 9, we're going to see Israel repenting. Repenting. What does that mean? It means to change your outlook, change your pattern, change your direction. When I came to faith in Christ, God the Holy Spirit took up residence within me, and so I had the power to walk differently, to think differently. But it wasn't until I got into God's word that the Holy Spirit had the tools necessary to effect that change. It's like having the gas in your tank, but if you don't put the key in the ignition and turn on the engine using that battery power to get things going, nothing can happen. You just sit there still. This is the battery power that gets things in motion and keeps them in motion. Now, let me add another thing. This, this is deep theology, okay? We're going to be looking at Israel. You know what, folks? We're not Israel. Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul says, we are the church. We are a, we are a secret that God kept is we're not revealed at all, not one word spoken, not one syllable about the church in the entire Old Testament. It was a secret that God kept, and then on the day of Pentecost, he sprang a secret on the world, the world and the devil. He started a new body of redeemed people called the church. Why? He had just set Israel on the shelf. What had they done? They stood before Pilate, who was washing his hands, I will not, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this man. 
And they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Big mistake. And it wasn't just the leadership, it was the crowd. At that point, God put them as that body of redeemed people, through whom some of whom were redeemed, through whom he was presenting himself to the world. He put them on the shelf, and he started a new body of redeemed people called the church. They didn't get that. The apostles didn't get that initially, what God was doing, but it was disclosed to them later. But, so why are we going to Nehemiah 9, Mark, if this is Israel and we're the church? Because God is the same, and the issues remain the same. So chapter 9 of Nehemiah, chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the people have come together for the Feast of Tabernacles, and Nehemiah brings Ezra the priest out, and he starts reading the law of God to the people. He starts reading the law of Moses to the people. And the people, they are there for a, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time of joy and gladness. And the Levites are scattered amongst the people. They've got them in small groups. And they're explaining what Ezra reads as he reads it. He would read a portion, they would explain it. He would read a portion, they would explain it. And the people begin crying out and mourning. And it gets to the point where Ezra stands there and says, Stop! This is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time of joy and gladness. But we're going to have a meeting in three weeks. <laughs> and we're going to then mourn. And Daniel chapter 9 is when they have come together. I'm just going to do a running commentary. This is a lengthy passage. I'm just going to do a running commentary through this chapter. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Where does this fasting and sackcloth and ashes or dust, it's actually the word dirt, on their heads? Where does this come from? What happens when the Chaldeans or the Assyrians come over the walls? Because God is judging you because you've departed from God. And he brings in the foreigners, the enemies, and they, what do they do? They empty your pantry. They empty your barns of the harvest. They empty your wardrobe. Clothes were very, very valuable. Everything's handmade. They take your wardrobe. They even take the clothes off of your body. And there are a lot of dead people. Fasting, why? Because you have no food. Sackcloth, you're wearing burlap sacks because there's nothing else to put on. And ashes because your friends and relatives who have been killed. It's a sign of mourning. But what do you do if you can see that your nation or your own family or yourself, you're on a downhill slide? What do you do? How about if we do the fasting, sackcloth, and ashes before the Chaldeans come over the walls? Maybe we can just leapfrog over all that stuff and go to repentance. Why do we have to wait until everything bad imaginable has happened before we repent? Let's repent now! What a good idea! Yeah! 
And so what are they doing? What is the situation with Israel right now as this chapter is being written? God had already blessed them. They were in captivity. They were scattered throughout the nations in Babylon. And God incited them after the 70 years of captivity under Zerubbabel and Ezra. They returned. But they only had permission to return and to rebuild the temple, not the walls. And then it was many years later, Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the Persian emperor, which means he is the guy that the Persian emperor loves and trusts the most in the entire empire. He requested of the Persian emperor that he be allowed to go to Israel because the condition of the people was bad. They had returned, but their Things are not going well. They've been opposed. They have permission to rebuild the temple, but they've been opposed. And, of course, the city walls are broken down. They didn't have permission to do that. But the surrounding foreign peoples there are harassing them and making things difficult for them. And so he asked, he actually put his own life in danger. He fasted and prayed before he went into the emperor. He's the cupbearer. Let me tell you, you're in the presence of the Persian emperor. You're supposed to have a gigantic grin on your face the whole time. Why? Because you're in the presence of the Persian emperor. I should be happy. I have no reason not to be happy. He went before the Persian emperor, and he's glum. He's the cupbearer, and he's frowning. He's sad. Persian emperor knew Nehemiah. He loved Nehemiah. So instead of doing what he might have done, take this guy out and kill him. You think that? No, that was not unusual. He asked Nehemiah, why is your countenance fallen? And he explained to him the condition of his people in and around Jerusalem. Well, what would you like me to do Nehemiah, give me permission to go back and deal with the situation and rebuild the walls. And he gave him permission, not only permission, but he gave him the right to the forest that they would have to give him the timber necessary to do it. So he has come back, and he got that done. You want to read a fantastic explanation on how to be a leader, study Nehemiah and the things that he did. I mean, it is a fantastic handbook on leadership. Nehemiah has now gone back to Persia, and then he came back a few years later, and he finds the people not following the Lord. And so they're dealing with this. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth of the day. I'm going to assume they're talking about about 16 hours, not counting the hours of darkness. So we're talking about four hours of standing, listening to the law of God. 
We're not talking about a 30-minute, like on Sunday morning, an hour, hour and a half, and we're done. No. About four, one-fourth of the day, they listened to the reading of the book of the law, and for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shenanai stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, and Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. The angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, we just prayed for a whole lot of people, a whole lot of situations. And what did we do? We claimed God's promises. Let me tell you, that's all it is. You know what the Christian life is? Reading, claiming God's promises. Moment after moment after moment after moment after moment. In, in Bob's Sunday school class, I loved the way he said, I learned to walk in the Spirit. I learned. Now I, I, I saw that command, pray without ceasing. How in the world can I pray without ceasing? He says, now I pray without ceasing. <laughs> and I don't have to try to make it happen. It just naturally rises out of me. That's the way it is. And it makes perfect sense. If you understand who this God is, why would you do anything else? This God allows you to talk to him and he talks to you. He talks back. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of the land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. Earlier in the worship service, we recited the Lord's Prayer. What does it say? Hallowed be your name. Set your name apart. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. We here 
can stand and recite to the world. This is about 1,000 years after the Exodus, but we can still tell the world what you did. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? They have found the remains of Pharaoh's chariot wheels under the Red Sea. Why did they survive and not the chariots or anything? Because they were covered with gold leaf. And so the barnacles and so forth couldn't dismantle them. We found Pharaoh's chariot wheels under the Red Sea. So as they were saying this in about 400 BC, we can stay in 2400 years later. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's the evidence. Empty tomb, <coughs> chariot wheels. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and their persecutors you threw <coughs> into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them, by the way, Pharaoh and his army went voluntarily into that Red Sea. They thought they were doing what they wanted to do. Oh, no, 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 no. They were doing what God purposed. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just think about this, folks. The God of your enemies just separated the waters so they could escape from you. How bright is it to think you can now traverse, go through those same separated waters, and this is not going to be a problem for you? You are the enemies of the people that he just... So part of it was the insanity of what was going on in Pharaoh's brain. <laughs> Moreover, you led them by day with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. I just mentioned how insane Pharaoh was. How insane was this? Why? very simple they're sinners and sinners will always find a way to turn their back on God I don't care where God maneuvers around them they're going to be turning their back on him no matter unless, unless and until God the Holy Spirit reaches down and grabs them by the nape of the neck just like he did with each of us who are now in the kingdom and says you're mine Nicodemus you must be born from above. And Nicodemus, whom Jesus calls the rabbi of Israel, was ushered into the kingdom. Then, he's already the rabbi of Israel. He was then ushered into the kingdom. His religious credentials didn't make a place for him in heaven. 
God made a place for him in heaven. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders, but you did among them that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Let's go back to Egypt. But you are God. I love the rest of this verse ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. And this is our God. This is our God. even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. (laughs) This is right after, a few days after Moses, they received the Ten Commandments and said everything that God has said we will do. And worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you have sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. Excuse me, you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. And gave them into their hand, them the Canaanites into their hands, with their kings and the peoples of the people of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land, and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against you to turn them to yourself, and they work great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them, And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven 
and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments. These are men standing before the entire congregation of Israel gathered there in the court in Jerusalem telling them of their nation's history. Which if a man does, if he follows your judgments, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy... Mercy, mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. I'm so glad this Bible says what it says. Amen. The God they needed is the God we need. Amen. Now, therefore, our God, the great the mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy. Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people for the days of the kings of Assyria, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, we're talking, by the way, about approximately 300 years. The Assyrians came over and took the 10 northern tribes off into captivity in about 700 BC. The Chaldeans, 100 years later, came over the walls of Jerusalem and took the Jews, the, the Judah and Benjamin, into captivity. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today. What is that? We are under the heel of our neighbors. The surrounding peoples are harassing them, giving them a very, very, very difficult time. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it, not masters of it, not owners of it, but servants in it. 
and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us, the pagan kings you have set over us. Because of our sins, also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. What was that covenant? Lord, we're done rebelling. They weren't really done, but at this day, they're done. (laughs) And they're casting themselves before God for his mercy. You know what happened? They got it. God had already rebuilt the walls. He is going to turn back the domination of the surrounding peoples for them. And he's going to, in fact, use the Persian rulers to do it. Our God is the Lord in the hospitals. As we prayed for people who need healing, he is the Lord in the courtroom as we have prayed for people who need God to guide them through the court system. He is the Lord on the battlefield. A couple of weeks ago, I shared a great, great, great testimony about George Washington when he was fighting in the, in the French and Indian War, and he was the, in the British Army, marched west against the French and the Indians and they paraded through the wilderness thinking we will just overwhelm them just by seeing us. The, the British will, and the Indians will just, or excuse me, the French and the Indians will just turn and run. No, that's not what happened. They, got, they walked right into a horrible ambush, and all of those British officers that were mounted on horses were all shot off their horses, with one exception. A man by the name of George Washington. And later on, an Indian chief testified, we tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to shoot him off his horse, and we just couldn't do it. And when, at at the end of the day of battle, when he dismounted, Washington opened up his coat and musket balls fell out of his clothes. And that Indian chief said it was clear that God's hand of protection was on him. Who is the God of the battlefield? Who is the God of the battlefield and in the hospital and the court system and any other issue you might face in the families? We deal with family issues. We wonder about people. We've just prayed for couples that are facing horrible self-inflicted problems. And yet what our God can step in in the same way that he mastered all things. He masters human temperaments and brings not only forgiveness but holiness into people so that we might walk like Jesus himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, We need mercy. 
We need mercy moment by moment by moment. We need grace moment by moment by moment. We need your love. We need your kindness. We need your loyalty to us moment by moment, a loyalty that arises out of your love and mercy for us. We need it moment by moment by moment. But Lord, don't ever let us sell you short on the power. As you said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born from above. We can pray to you for specific individuals that, Lord, you will simply stand in front of their tomb as you did with Lazarus. When you said, Lazarus, come forth, he came forth. You can stand before the most wicked, rebellious person. And when you say, come forth, they come forth. Your life gets invested in them as they, by the help of your Holy Spirit, cast themselves upon the mercy made theirs by you and a simple act of faith of holding out an empty hand makes it happen. I'm going to pray right now. And if you're here in this room and you have never taken that simple step of just holding out that empty hand and saying, God, I want what you provide, I would invite you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you took all the hell that I deserve for an eternity. You took that on the cross already. It's a done deal. It's been accomplished. But I want the benefit of it. I don't get the benefit unless I ask. So I'm asking right now. I'm believing what you say and I'm asking for the benefit right now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and just instead of what